0: take your Bibles and open to Luke chapter 15, to Luke chapter 15. Now, the next two Sundays, we've been in a study of the parables of Jesus now for a number of weeks. Um, We'll continue that for the the weeks ahead, but this morning, we're going to focus on the parables of Luke 15. Now, the bishop, the famous bishop, J.C. Ryle, he says this about Luke 15, quote, there is no chapter of the Bible that has done greater good to the souls of men than Luke 15. Now that is a tremendous statement. To think that there is no other chapter of the Bible that has done greater good to the souls of men. So this morning as we study, my prayer today is that these two parables that we look at in Luke 15 will be a blessing to your soul as well. Now Luke records in this chapter... Um, three of the most famous parables of Jesus. You have the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. Now these are parables of lostness. They share a common theme of something being lost that was found. And then um, there is a searching for this that was lost. And then there is repentance and a celebration of heaven over those who repent. Those are the themes that these parables share. Now, as I said at the beginning of this ser- at the beginning of this sermon series, parables serve a particular function. They go- Jesus shares them for a reason. And what these parables are meant to show is reality, particularly the spiritual reality of the world, the world that Jesus created and is lord over. So the parables reveal to us reality as it really is and they're meant to shape our understanding of the gospel and particularly our view of the kingdom. Now, in these parables, there's one great truth that is going to be revealed and it is the heart of God in His pursuit for that which is lost. These parables share this theme that God is pursuing his people. So Jesus is trying to reveal to us the heart of God. Now, John begins his, 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 his gospel this way. Listen to what John says in John 1. I want you to see that Jesus is revealing the heart of God. It says in John chapter 1, for from his fullness, the fullness of Jesus, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth, came through Jesus Christ. And then he says this, this is interesting. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's right, side, right hand has made him known. John's point is that Jesus is the visible manifestation of the heart of God. So when Jesus tells these parables, he is giving us insight into what God is really like because when we see Jesus, we see the heart of the Father. Now, let's look at um, Luke 15. I'm a, we're going to look at the first two today. We're, we'll be reading verses 1 through 10. It says there, Now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance? Or, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the one coin that I had lost, just so I tell you. There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You see the theme here. Now I want to break this into several parts as we walk through this together, as we look at the parables of lostness. The first thing I want you to see is the complaint with Jesus. Look there at the beginning, verses 1 and 2, there is a complaint the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus' arch nemesis, they are, not, they are none too pleased with what Jesus has been doing in his ministry. Jesus has been eating and fellowshipping and reaching out to the downcast and the downtrodden and to the rejects of society and to those that the religious leaders have written off as useless, worthless, and beyond-reaching. And Jesus tells them these parables in the context of this complaint. Now, I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to see that this is a continued theme, particularly in the Gospel of Luke. So flip back to chapter 5 of Luke. You're in chapter 15. Go back to chapter 5, much earlier in Jesus' ministry. And I want you to see where this kind of begins. Go back to Luke chapter 5 and look at verse 27. Verse 27. This is where Jesus meets Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, when Jesus is calling his first disciples. And look what it says in verse 20 says. It says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, that's Matthew, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Man, that's a story there. And look at what happens in his joy. Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribe grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said to them, This shows you the heart of Jesus here. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, that's an important statement. Jesus, as God's Messiah, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, flip over two chapters to Luke 7, because they're not done grumbling and complaining. Luke 7, beginning in verse 36, we now, we found in chapter 5, Jesus is in the home ...of a tax collector, Matthew, Levi... ...who's thrown a great feast for Jesus. And now in chapter 7, Jesus is eating with the Pharisees. So Jesus is indiscriminate. Jesus loves them too. Jesus will eat and fellowship with them. The rub is Jesus also eats and fellowships with sinners. So look here in chapter 7, verse 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. Good. And it says, and he went into the Pharisees' house... ...and reclined at table... And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, uh, uh, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. He can't believe that Jesus would let this happen. And look what Jesus says. It says, And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. And Jesus tells a story. He says, A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed five hundred denarii and the other fifty. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now that's grace. Both of them are debtors. Both of them are sinners. Both of them don't deserve mercy. And he says, this master canceled the debt of both. Now which will love him more? And Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said, you've judged rightly. And those who were at the table with him began to say, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And then over in Luke 15, we have a similar story where the tax collectors are grumbling against those to which Jesus wants to be compassionate. Now I want you to see the correction of Jesus, point number two. The correction of Jesus. There's a complaint. But then there's a correction. Now behind, the same, behind this same repeated complaint from the religious leaders is this thought. It's the thought that Jesus can't be doing the work or ministry of God if he relates or associates with people who are impure and unclean, the outcasts of Israel. You can't be the Messiah, Jesus. If you're ministering among those kinds of people. That's where Jesus finds himself. So, And and in their opinion, by the way, none are more undeserving or questionable than tax collectors who are traitors to Rome or sinners like this woman who's most likely a harlot at some point weeping at the feet of Jesus. Jesus not only, by the way, associates with them Jesus goes into their homes. Jesus shares food and fellowship with them. And, by the way, Jesus tells them something that absolutely strikes at the heart of these self-righteous religious leaders. Jesus looks at them and says, your sins are forgiven. Jesus says, there's a seat at my Father's table for you as well. If you make room for me at your table, there's room for you at my Father's table. And that is the problem. They will not have that. They love Jesus because Jesus loves them. And what the religious leaders meant as a slight on Jesus' reputation and ministry, he eats with tax collectors and sinners. He can't be the Messiah. Jesus takes that and he uses these parables to give them a revelation into the heart and character of God. This shows what God and His kingdom are actually really like. And it's not like the ones the Pharisees think. So these parables serve to correct our understanding of God's heart. How it is moved with compassion towards the outcast. And as Jesus seeks to correct them and even possibly rebuke their understanding that they shouldn't be grumbling or complaining. They should actually be rejoicing at those who repent and enter the kingdom. That's, by the way, what we're going to see next week in the prodigal son. The point is Jesus invites them to celebrate. Jesus invites even the religious leaders that if you really understood the kingdom and what was going on when I'm having... Dinner and lunch with these, and that they're turning from their sin and embracing me as Lord and finding forgiveness in my name. If you knew that, then you wouldn't complain, you would rejoice. You would join in rejoicing. And what we can see here from the beginning is that when Jesus even corrects a misunderstanding of his opponents, the Pharisees and scribes, they're Jesus's opponents. When he even corrects them, it is done as a mercy and a grace. See, sometimes we want to paint them in the worst possible light. But even here, Jesus is being gracious to them and inviting them into the kingdom and to correct their misunderstanding. That's the point. Whenever Jesus corrects us, even as his own children, it is also a mercy and grace. And by the way, Jesus needs to correct some of us in the room today, doesn't he? He needs to correct me often. And when he does that, that is a grace. Jesus' heart goes out in both directions. That's what I want you to see here. Jesus' heart goes out to the weary and the outcast, and it goes out to those who are righteous in their own eyes. Jesus' heart goes both ways. The truth is that both need repentance and both need a Savior. Now here's my question. Maybe you need that correction this morning. Do you have the same complaints as the Pharisees when you see people ministering and Jesus being compassionate to those that are under undeserving? Let me ask you, do you think Jesus is too merciful? Do you, do you hate to see Jesus condescending and congregating with, with sinners and even celebrating with those who were most despised and rejected in our society? I'm going to ask you this question. If Jesus were here in Huntington today, where would he be ministering? That's the question. Where would Jesus be? I know we would like to think he would be in here with us on Sunday morning, and he is with his people. He dwells among his people when we worship. But where is the nitty-gritty of Jesus' ministry going to be done? It's going to be among the outcasts and the downtrodden and those that everybody else has written off to which the church is to respond and say, we are going to show Jesus' compassion to these people. That's the question, right? If Je- Where would that happen? Would we find ourselves joining Jesus in his ministry or joining with the religious leaders and their complaints against him? That's a, that's a hard question, right? But that is the correction of Jesus. And then third, I want you to notice... The compassion of Jesus for the lost. The compassion of Jesus. Look how both parables begin. Look back at our text in Luke 15. He says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Parable 2. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and diligently seek until she finds it? Now, the logic of the parable is unmistakable. It's very plain. If this man and this woman will diligently seek out and pursue what they've lost, whether it's a sheep or a coin, if they will do that, how much more will your Father in heaven search and pursue those that are lost? The point is, if you'll do this, God will do it even more. Look at the heart of God. What both parables share, they they share an assurance of God's heart to seek and to save that which was lost. But these parables do something else. They also give us a nuanced perspective of actually what it means to be lost. Do you remember what it was like to be lost? Do you remember what it was like to be separate and apart from Jesus? Listen. These two parables give us different understandings into what it means. Let me give you the sheep first. The parable of the sheep. You have a a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray. Sheep are living and breathing animals. They even make choices. Many times they make terrible choices. They wander away from the shepherd. They stubbornly refuse to follow him. They place themselves in danger from the terrain From the weather and from wolves, they become lost, separated from the shepherd. They lose hope, and if you did not know this, when a sheep wanders without any hope of finding its shepherd, they lay down and wait on death. That's what they do. And in their lost and destitute condition, the shepherd comes after them. The shepherd leaves the 99 under the care of a helper. Jesus tells us that elsewhere. He's a good shepherd. He doesn't leave the 99 without care but he leaves them and he goes and finds the one and he searches how long until he finds it he goes after his sheep now what you need to know is the religious leaders could not have missed the old testament images that fill this first parable listen to isaiah 40 this is the promise of isaiah 40 He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. That's a messianic promise. Jesus is saying that kind of guy is standing in front of you. That's who's in front of you. I am fulfilling Isaiah 40 right now. Or listen to Ezekiel 34. It's even more plain. Ezekiel 34, God says this, I myself will search for my sheep. He says, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when some of his sheep have been scattered abroad, I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places they have been scattered. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And then he makes this promise. And you are my sheep. The sheep of your pasture and I am your God. Or the famous 23rd Psalm that says, the Lord is my shepherd and you skip down and he says, He restores my soul. I was gone and broken and hurting, and he came after me and restored my soul. And here's the news of Jesus. Jesus takes all of that imagery upon himself. What does he say about himself in John 10? I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Or Over in in Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus is called the great shepherd of the sheep. In 1 Peter, he's called the chief shepherd. I want you to notice the compassion of our shepherd. Look back there at verse 4. Look at what Jesus says. It says, and when he finds his lost sheep, he lays it on his shoulders. It's too weak to even walk back. And he carries it along, mad, angry, upset. No, how does he carry the sheep back? Rejoicing. That is the heart of Jesus over one sheep that has gone astray, made bad choices, done what it shouldn't have done, and Jesus leaves the others behind and goes after it. That's the heart of Jesus, compassionately pursuing them in love and compassion. That's the first picture. The first picture of lostness is a sheep who wanders astray, and the shepherd goes. But the second picture of lostness is more grim. And that's the image of a coin, right? Unlike the sheep, This coin is lifeless. It's not lost due to any action or choice of its own. It doesn't make any choices. It's breathless, lifeless, inanimate, and lost. And I just want to say that's a grave picture of our spiritual condition apart from Jesus. But it's the same picture that Paul uses in Ephesians 2, right? He says you are what? Dead in your trespasses and sin. Without life. Without any ability or awareness of God, that's the second picture here, um, that you are lost and dead in sin. It's easy to see the connections to Jesus as the shepherd in the first one. Many commentators connect the second picture of the woman lighting a lamp and looking for the coin with a picture of the Holy Spirit, that we are lifeless and it is the job of the Spirit to come and bring us life. Now, what they see there in the text is a connection between the lampstand She lights a lamp and looks for the coin. And the picture of the Spirit in the book of Revelation is is the lampstand. The Spirit is the lampstand among the churches. Now, I don't want to press that too far, but what is clear through the rest of the New Testament is the role of God's Spirit in our salvation. Jesus said, "Is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. It is the Spirit who convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. It is the Spirit who awakens faith in those who do not have it and who brings, who brings repentance into them. It is the Spirit, Jesus says to Nicodemus, that blows where it wishes and brings spiritual birth to those who have no spiritual life. Now the point here, here's the point. The point is that God graciously and compassionately sends His Spirit to those who need spiritual life. That is, the compassion, that, is the, that is the compassion of God who seeks that which is lost. Has not God sent His Son as our shepherd and His, his Spirit to convict us of our sin and righteousness and need of Jesus? That is the compassion of God for the lost. Maybe this morning you are one of those. You're lost by your own choice and you're lost by the fact that you're dead and your trespasses and sins. And this morning, Jesus is speaking. Jesus says this, "My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, and I give them life. So this morning, if you are lost, you need to, you don't even know that God is pursuing you and God has pursued you in Jesus. He has given you His own Son. To say that if you will turn from your sins and repent, you will be welcomed and received. And that brings me to my fourth point. Notice the celebration of repentance. Look back at the parables and the consistency of this point. Look at there at verse 5. It says, And when he has found his sheep, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. You can circle that. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors. And what does he say to them? rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost get down now in verse 7 he says just so I tell you there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance and when she has found it verse 9 down to the parable of the coin and when she has found it she calls together her friends and neighbors saying rejoice with me I have found the coin I had lost. Just so I tell you, there's more joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Do you see the theme here? The shepherd goes home. He calls his family, his friends and neighbors, and they are invited to the celebration. Rejoice! I found my sheep. And then the woman's family and friends and neighbors are invited to rejoice to her. And Jesus says... Listen to the logic. If they rejoice over this, how much more so will your Father in heaven and the angels of heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents? And here's the truth: heaven rejoices over repentance. There is a party in heaven over one sinner, not over millions. Sometimes we get caught up that we want to see millions of people come to Jesus. I do too. But when does heaven throw a party? One. One sinner who repents, all of heaven rejoices. Heaven rejoices over any soul who is lost and who turns to Christ in repentance and faith that is awakened in their hearts by the power of His Spirit. And if heaven rejoices, here's Jesus' point of the entire parable, to the scribes and Pharisees who were grumbling and complaining. If all of heaven rejoices, then so should you. You shouldn't, This isn't a time for grumbling and complaining. This is a time for rejoicing. We are invited into the joy of heaven when we join with Jesus in rejoicing over one lost person who comes to repentance. And this would be a terrible thing. Let me just give it to you in the negative. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing to see heaven rejoicing and us complaining? Wouldn't that be a terrible picture? But is that not the picture that's right here in front of these Pharisees? Jesus is trying to instruct them about His kingdom that is built on grace and mercy. That is the contrast between the religious leaders and Jesus. Jesus is saying this. He is imploring their hearts. He's pleading with them. He's saying, don't you understand at this moment that all of heaven is rejoicing over these broken outcasts that you think are worthless? These are Jesus. These are my lost sheep. These are my lost coins. And he says, and when they repent of their sin and recognize me for who I am, then I am the shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep and I pursue them and I keep them and I'm bringing them home. And Jesus says, I'm not baptizing them with water. I'm baptizing them with the Holy Spirit who gives them new life. Join me in rejoicing. Now folks, This matters in how we share the gospel. We should be sharing the gospel in the hope of repentance that leads to life so that there will be rejoicing in heaven. There should be no greater celebration among believers than when one lost person or one backslidden believer turns in repentance and comes back to Jesus. We should be seeking repentance. We should be saying... This isn't about us getting everything right, about us getting all of our theology right, about us getting every answer right, about us not doing all the bad things or doing all the good things. This is about a heart that is broken over sin and sees Jesus as their everything. God sent Jesus to pursue that which was lost. Are you not grateful that Jesus came looking for you? And I can tell you, no matter how good you think you were how much searching you thought you did, you weren't looking for Jesus the way He was looking for you. He went to the cross for you. Now, church, God sent Jesus to pursue that which was lost, and the one that was lost took priority over the 99 that weren't. I'll just think about that as a church. Going after the lost was a greater priority for Jesus than caring for the 99 that weren't that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have church we do this is God's plan but what that should encourage the church is that is our mission we gather so that we can go We gather so that we can scatter for the glory of God. The one matters to God. And if we're going to live for the joy of Jesus, then we must join Him in His joy over the one coming to Him in repentance. They can't come if they don't know who He is. Now, here's the truth. We all have friends and neighbors who have no idea that God is pursuing them. And that pursuit involves us sharing the hope of Jesus with them and then rejoicing with all of heaven over the one who repents. Listen, we've been talking this year and, and, some, and uh, uh, through all our channels of our church that um, we're doing something called a mission, have, being a missionary on every street. That God has called you to be the missionary on your street. God put you there. God didn't put me on your street. God put me on Timber Lane. So you that are on Timber Lane, you're stuck with me. I'm sorry. But it's our job to make sure we know the spiritual condition of our neighbors around us. We should, be able, we should at least know, do they go to church? Do they not go to church? Do they have any kind of relationship with Jesus? Do they not? Do they need, if there's an elderly person, do they need me to come over and rake their leaves or put some mulch in their beds this spring so that I can try to love them and build a relationship with them. But the point is that God cares about the one. And I hope you're praying about the one on your street or your neighborhood that you can share the gospel with this year. But I want to close with this. If you don't know Jesus, this morning, Jesus' arms are open wide. And he says, if you are a lost sheep, I'm looking for you. Will you not repent of your sins and come and find forgiveness and hope in me? Forget about the religious hypocrites. Find forgiveness in me. Maybe you're a believer here today and you just need to repent of being a a complainer. Don't complain about everything. We're pursuing the lost sheep. Let's worry about the lost sheep and not complain. Or maybe you're looking for a church home. I'll invite you to be a part of ours. Well, we don't do everything right. Amen. Hey, see, you got a few amens. We don't do everything right, but we desire to honor Jesus and make the gospel known. I'm going to pray for us. Um, they're going to get us offline. Then we're going uh, uh, to sing one, so, one line of an invitation, and we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you've spoken to us clearly this morning. Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful that you pursued a lost wretch like me. Father, when I thought I had it all figured out and I thought I was good enough, I thought I didn't do enough bad things or I had done just enough good things, that you broke me and you showed me my lostness and my utter destitute condition apart from Jesus. And so, Father, I ask that you would show us that and reveal that to us by our spirit, that we all like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And, Father, that though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you made us alive together with Christ. By grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. So, Father, I pray today you would speak and move and give us hearts of compassion for the lost like Jesus, those that don't even know they're lost. Father, speak now for Jesus' sake.